Chapter 8 of My Southern Home, or The South and Its People. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. My Southern Home, or The South and Its People, by William Wells Brown. Chapter 8 Cruelty to Negroes was not practiced in our section. It is true there were some exceptional cases, and some individuals did not take the care of their servants at all times that economy seemed to demand. Yet a certain degree of punishment was actually needed to ensure respect to the master, and good government to the slave population. If a servant disobeyed orders, it was necessary that he should be flogged, to deter others from following the bad example. If a servant ran away, he must be caught and brought back to let others see that the same fate awaited them if they made similar attempts. While the keeping of bloodhounds for running down and catching negroes was not common, yet a few were kept by Mr. Tabor, an inferior white man, near the corners who hired them out or hunted the runaway, charging so much per day or a round sum for the catch. Jerome, a slave owned by the Reverend Mr. Wilson, when about to be punished by his master, ran away. Tabor and his dogs were sent for. The slave-catcher came, and at once set his dogs upon the trail. The parson and some of the neighbors went along for the fun that was in store. These dogs will attack a negro at their master's bidding, and cling to him as a bulldog will cling to a beast. Many are the speculations as to whether the negro will be secured alive or dead when these dogs get on his track. However, on this occasion there was not much danger of ill-treatment, for Mr. Wilson was a clergyman, and was of a humane turn, and bargained with Tabor not to injure the slave if he could help it. The hunters had been in the wood a short time, ere they got on the track of two slaves, one of whom was Jerome. The negroes immediately bent their steps toward the swamp, with the hope that the dogs would, when put upon the scent, be unable to follow them through the water. Nearer and nearer the whimpering pack pressed on, their delusion began to dispel. All at once the truth flashed upon the minds of the fugitives, like a glare of light, that it was Tabor with his dogs. They at last reached the river, and in the negroes plunged, followed by the catch-dog. Jerome was finally caught, and once more in the hands of his master, while the other man found a watery grave. They returned, and the preacher sent his slave to the city jail for safekeeping. While the planters would employ Tabor without hesitation to hunt down their negroes, they would not receive him into their houses as a visitor any sooner than they would one of their own slaves. Tabor was, however, considered one of the better class of poor whites, a number of whom had a religious society in that neighborhood. The pastor of the poor whites was the Reverend Martin Lauder, somewhat of a genius in his own way. The following sermon preached by him about the time of which I write will well illustrate the character of the people for whom he labored. More than two long, weary hours had now elapsed since the audience had been convened, 
and the people begin to exhibit slight signs of fatigue. Some few scrapings and rasping of cowhide boots on the floor, an audible yawn or two, a little twisting and turning on the narrow, uncomfortable seats, while in one or two instances a somnolent soul or two snored outright. These palpable signs were not lost upon our old friend Louder. He cast an eye, emphatically an eye, over the assemblage, and then he spoke. "'My dear brethren and beloved sistren, you've been a long time a-sittin' on your seats. You're tired, I know, and I don't expect you want to hear the old daddy preach. If you don't want to hear the old man, just give him the least bit of a sign. Cough, hold up your hand, anything, and louder sit right down. He'll dry up in a minute. At this juncture of affairs, Louder paused for a reply. He glanced furtively over the audience, in search of the individual who might be tired of settin' on his seat. But no sign was made. No such malcontent came within the visual range. "'Go on, Brother Louder,' said a sonorous voice in the Amen corner of the house. Thus encouraged, the speaker proceeded in his remarks. "'Well, then, brethren, since you say so, louder'll proceed, but he don't intend to preach a regular sermon, for it's a-gettin' late, and our sect which it don't believe in eatin' cold vittles on the Lord's day. My brethren, if the old louder gets out in the right track, I want you to call him back. He don't want to teach you any error. He don't want to preach nothing but what's found between the leads of this blessed book.' My dear brethren, the Lord raised up his servant Moses that he should fetch his people Israel up out in that wicked land. Then, Moses, he went out from the face of the Lord, and departed hence unto the courts of the old tyrannical king. And what says you, Moses? Ah, says he, Moses says, says he to that wicked old Pharaoh, thus says the lord god of hosts says he let my israel go and what says the old hard-hearted king ah says pharaoh says he who is the lord god of hosts says he that i should obey his voice and now what says you moses ah moses says says he thus saith the lord god of israel let my people go that they might worship me says the lord in the wilderness but uh, my beloved brethren and my hardened impenitent friends uh, did the old hard-hearted king hearken to the words of moses and let my people go nary time this last remark made in an ordinary conversational tone of voice was so sudden and unexpected that the change, the transition from the singing state, was electrical. Ah, then, my beloved brethren and sistren, what next? What says you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that contrary old king? Ah, Moses says to Pharaoh, says he, Moses says, says he, 
thus saith the lord god of israel let my people go says the lord lest i come says he and smite you with a cuss and what says pharaoh the old tyrannical king ah says he says old pharaoh let their tasks be doubled and lest they might grumble says he those bricks shall be made without straw Bos natural made em pluck up grass and stumble out in the fields brethren to mix with the mud mighty hard on the poor critters wasn't it brother floodgate the individual thus interrogated replied just so and old louder moved along and what next uh, did the old king let my people israel go no my dear brethren he wretched out his pizen hand and he helped them fash then the lord was wroth with that wicked old king and the lord he said to moses says he moses stretch forth now thy rod over the rivers and the ponds of this wicked land and behold says he when thou stretch out thy rod says the lord all the waters shall be turned into blood then moses he tuck his rod and he done as the lord god of israel had commanded his servant moses to do and what then say you my brethren why lo and behold the rivers of that wicked land was all turned into blood and all the fish and all the frogs in them streams and waters died yes said the speaker lowering his voice to a natural tone and glancing out of the open window at the dry and dusty road for we were at the time suffering from a protracted drought and i believe the frogs will all die now unless we get some rain pretty soon what do you think about it brother waters this interrogatory was addressed to a fine portly-looking old man in the congregation brother w nodded assent and old louder resumed the thread of his discourse ah my beloved brethren that was a hard time on old pharaoh and his wicked crowd for the waters was loathsome to the people and it smelt so bad none of em could drink it and what next did the old king obey the voice of the lord and let my people israel go oh no my brethren not by a long sight for he hilt out again the lord and obeyed not his voice then the lord sent a gang of bullfrogs into that wicked land and they went hopping and lopping about all over the country and to the vittles and everywhere else my brethren the old louder thinks that was a desperate time but all wouldn't do old pharaoh was as stubborn as one of louder's mules and he wouldn't let the chosen seed go up out in the land of bondage then the lord sent a mighty hail and out of that his devouring locusts and they et up blame nigh everything on the face of the earth let not your hearts be troubled for the truth is mighty and must prevail brother creek you don't seem to be doing much of anything suppose you raise a tune this remark was addressed to a tall lank hollow-jawed old man in the congregation with a great shock of grizzled gray hair wait a minute brother louder till i get all my glasses was the reply of brother creek who proceeded to draw from his pocket an oblong tin case 
which opened and shut with a tremendous snap, from which he drew a pair of iron-rimmed spectacles. These he carefully dusted with his handkerchief, and then turned to the hymn which the preacher had selected, and read out to the congregation. After considerable deliberation and some clearing of the throat, hawking, spitting, etc., and other preliminaries, Brother Creek, in a quivering, split sort of voice, opened out on the tune. Louder seemed uneasy. It was evident that he feared a failure on the part of the worthy brother. At the end of the first line he exclaimed, "'Pears to me, Brother Creek, you hain't got the right mitre.' Brother Creek suspended operations a moment and replied, "'I am pretty correct, generally, Brother Louder, and I'm confident she'll come out all right.' "'Well,' said Louder, "'we'll try her again.' and the choral strain under the supervision of Brother Creek was resumed in the following words. When I was a mourner just like you, washed in the blood of the Lamb, I fasted and prayed till I got through, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Chorus. Come along, sinner, and go with us. If you don't, you will be cussed. Religion's like a blooming rose, washed in the blood of the Lamb, as none but those that feel it knows, washed in the blood of the Lamb. The singing, joined in by all present, brought the enthusiasm of the assembly up to white heat, and the shouting with the loud Amen, God save the sinner, sing it, brother, sing it, made the welkin ring. End of chapter 8 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista